Hey guys, this is Tony Waller, and we're doing things a little differently today for episode 135 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. I'm not joined by my co-host Scott Duvall or Will Leach. Instead, I'm joined by David Ching. If you've been around Georgia football for a while, you recognize that name as the former sports editor of the Athens Banner Herald. He also worked with the Columbus paper. He's covered LSU. He's covered Georgia. He's covered Auburn. He's covered Columbus State. Most recently with ESPN, uh, in last year he left and went to Purdue University, where he currently edits the university's magazine, their College of Global Arts. Uh, we had a great conversation. We talked about some of the stuff he's written for Forbes magazine, where he's currently writing uh, articles as he uh, as he, ideas come to him, including one he wrote about the baseball all-star game, what it's like to live in Big Ten country, and interesting storylines coming up in college football. A uh, little hint here, he is very excited about what the NFL draft could look like for college football's uh, defensive lineman this year. So you can follow David, uh, at, like I said, at Forbes Magazine. Also, you can follow him on Twitter, at DavidChing77. That is D-A-V-I-D-C-H-I-N-G-77. Thank you very much to David for joining me, uh, and on to the podcast. This is Tony with Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast, and I am really excited to be joined by David Ching. A lot of you will remember David from his time at the Banner Herald or the Columbus Paper. And at ESPN, he has now moved on to greener and colder pastures, is right the way of putting it. Uh, David, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, Tony. Good to talk to you, man. Yeah, it's good to catch up with you. Um, now, you are now at Purdue. Does that That's truth, right? Yeah, right. I work at Purdue, and uh, you know I do some freelance sports writing on the side. But got out of the uh, the full time journalism business, and I'm just doing uh, the uh, nine to five gig now. Yeah, and you know it's interesting working at a higher education institution. The difference in the pace has got to be crazy for you. Yeah, well, uh, I got married uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, that was probably a big life change, just from the fact that. From probably about age 18 until 30-something, you know, I'd go to bed at whenever I felt like at 3, 4 in the morning and wake up around noon. And you can keep those hours when you're a sports writer. But, you know, when you have a wife that's getting up at 6 a.m., it doesn't work so well. So uh, that probably prepared me a little bit to to, uh, move into a 9-to-5 job because I was starting to live a little bit more of a normal life. (laughs) And you met her during your time at Baton Rouge, right? Right, yeah, yeah. She worked a couple blocks from my apartment, and uh, yeah, it's it's gone okay so far. You know, we're about two and a half years in or something. She uh, hadn't run off yet. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably a good sign. And you're editing and publishing and writing for a magazine for one of the uh, colleges at Purdue. Yeah, yeah. I, I work in the College of Liberal Arts, okay. and uh, you know, if, sometimes I write speeches or or uh, memos or whatever. But the main job is that I write and edit the magazine for the College of Liberal Arts, yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I, I think most of the Georgia fans, especially if you've been around for longer than five years, uh, remember your great work with the Columbus Ledger, Ledger Inquirer, right? Right, yeah. Okay, and, and of course the Banner Herald. It's funny, I was uh, reminiscing about your days with the Banner Herald recently just because I had the opportunity to talk with um, – I was talking with Matthew Leach, who works with MLB.com, who, of course, see Trent Rosecrans. He, he and Rosecrans are good friends. And, um, you know, it's just it's it's weird, kind of like the all-star team, y'all, that, that y'all had going on there. You worked with Cultiflatter to some, too, right? Was he there then, or had he already moved on? 
we were friends, but when he left, I, I basically took his, he called me and asked me if I was interested in taking his job when he was leaving. Oh, and so cool. I followed him as the sports editor. Yeah. Okay. I didn't remember that. I, I just remembered, I, I had in my head that those two times were concurrent and it's just, it's just crazy that, you know, in, you know, Weiser still does a great job uh, there, but it's just, it's, it's different. Right. And of course that's a, that's also yeah. a testament what's different about the newspaper business than it was 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just for, I don't know how many people are on the staff of the, you know, the sports staff at the paper now, but just in the time that I was sports editor, which was 2008 to 2011, I think it went from five full-time staffers to four, and then our stringer, you know, the people that worked as freelancers who would come in and help lay out the pages or, or write freelance stories, you know, I mean, those resources probably were cut in half just in that period of time, and they have since then diminished even further and that's not unique to the banner herald that's every newspaper and it's been really sad to see and it's part of the reason why i don't work for a newspaper anymore or in journalism i just that instability was just too much for me yeah it comes to a point where you just can't you can't manage a career where the planned obsolescence of what you do is a, a natural part of the business so most of the people will see your stuff at forbes now and you've written some really interesting pieces, and we'll get into one that you know, probably Georgia fans will be most interested in in a minute. Um, but, you know, I, I found the piece you wrote on the baseball all-star game and the people selected, the breakdown of, you know, who went to college, who came out of high school, and then more importantly in my mind, you know, power five versus non-power five college players. I, how, how did you – is that an idea you came up with? Or it was like, hey, take a look at that? Because that's really I, – I tend – I'm a sucker for those types of pieces. Yeah. Well, you know what I was thinking is you generally try to think when I'm, or I try to think when I'm planning stories, like what might have some sort of news peg and uh, maybe two or three days before the all-star selections, I was like, what could I write related to the all-star game selections? that would have a tie in to this general beat I do. You know, I just try to write about statistical things in college sports for Forbes because that's just kind of what is in the wheelhouse of a Forbes reader, things about money and statistics. And I thought, well, I wonder how many players uh, that made the all-star team actually played in college. Because my assumption was that it would be like 75% did not. They would be from some Caribbean island or they'd be from Japan or they went straight out of high school and never played in college at all. So I was like, well, let's just look at the last five years and see what the stats say. I mean, it's about 60% that didn't play in college at all, but that number is lower than I was expecting. And then uh, it's interesting, you'll look at, well, what colleges did they go to? And you'll have a kid like Bryce Harper who, you know, he did one kind of sort of year of junior college because he just didn't want to go to his senior year of high school. And Craig Kimbrell, who was such a great brave for all those years, he, he came straight out of JUCO. Right. And then you'll have guys, uh, you know, LSU, where I covered the last few years, uh, they've got a bunch of guys that have made it in. They're one of the most prominent baseball programs you know, in the country. Yeah, who, and, who were and, those? I remember you had that list at LSU being the one I, and Georgia Tech another one, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, LSU, you had two this year, uh, Aaron Nola and Alex Bregman, who are like 23 years old. They're brand new in baseball, and they both have made it. Uh, Will Harris, a reliever for the Astros, was one, and then DJ LeMahieu, the uh, infielder for the, the Rockies. Uh, they had the, they in UCLA had the most with four and five years uh tech had six guys that were picked but it was three players uh charlie blackman had made it three times 
and uh, Matt Wieters and, and Mark Teixeira right at the end of his career were the other two. Oh, that's right. I forgot Teixeira would have been still in that five-year window. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we tend to forget about him. He was a pretty good ball player for a while, but he kind of crashed into the mountain at the end. <laughs> that's, <laughs> sorry, that's just a really interesting way of putting it. <laughs> so, you know, in one of the pieces you wrote, uh, and I, 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 I don't know if you have read uh, Blutarski's ongoing saga that he, he actually um, linked to and quoted some of your piece on the Lincoln Riley comments. And I let me start off by staking my position on this. It's like I, I did some eye rolling just because the show he was on and what he said was not the way Cannell used it was provocative. What he actually said wasn't terribly provocative, just because what he says mm-hmm. is probably right. You know, Georgia probably would not be a top five offense. But it has raised some interesting conversations, interesting offseason conversations. If this were October, it wouldn't be. But um, yeah. it's, it's just interesting conversations, and it kind of hit on a point that you hit on, is that you know it's altogether fine for Riley to defend his conference, but that you know, kind of the, the point being, the entire conversation misses the nuance which is the difference in not just philosophy, but about how philosophy and how offenses are run and how you kind of like how you win a ball game in the Big 12 versus how you win a ball game in the SEC. And the bigger picture of just the, the, some of the differences in who you recruit and why. So I, I just found it, I, you know, I'd be interested in what your kind of your take over the big picture stuff is with the Riley comments and kind of the ongoing conversation. If you, or if you have any thoughts on that between in Boyd, Alan Kinney, and, and Mike Brockstein at I Get the Picture. Well, this is a thing that I think maybe he was overlooking in what he said. If you were talking about 10 years ago, or eight years ago, or five years ago, maybe, and you were saying that Big 12 offenses are clearly superior to SEC offenses from like a structural and, and game planning and, and play calling standpoint, I don't know that I would disagree with that. But uh, in the last several years, I mean, look around the conference. You've got Ole Miss doing some really wide-open spread stuff. Alabama has even adapted, you know, the run-pass option and all, and all kinds of ambitious offensive things. They're not just lining up in the eye and mashing people anymore like they were in 2012. And some of those years that I think we just have stuck in our head, etched in our minds about what Alabama is, like the conference itself has gotten a lot more ambitious with what it tries to do on offense. And something that I that I cited in the story was if you look at what they average, uh, offenses average on a yards per play basis, which I think is the most telling statistic when you're trying to determine explosiveness. It's, it's more effective to me than scoring because defenses and, and special teams can affect how many points per game you score. Yards per play is strictly how many yards did you get when you lined up and you ran a play. And uh, in the top 20 offenses in the country last year, four of them were SEC schools. Only two of them were from the Big 12. Oklahoma was number one, and, I mean, everybody saw how good they were. They were unbelievable. And Oklahoma State was number five. But his point was, you know, you have to do it week after week to defend all these great offenses and on and on and on about how a lot like people in the SEC say about how good the defenses are. Well, the stats don't hold up to his argument. Not now. I mean, they might have 10 years ago, but Mike Leach is out on the West Coast now. Like, uh, there's a lot of garbage teams in the Pac-12, I mean, in the, in the Big 12, and 
it's just it's rhetoric that I think is very lazy and it's easy to use when you coach in that conference because it's been something they've been saying for a long time, but it's just not true anymore. And the SEC has caught up from a from a planning standpoint. And, and I mean, if you look at the Rose Bowl, they Oklahoma certainly picked up their yards against Georgia, but in the second half, they largely got shut down. And meanwhile, Nick Chubb and, and Sony Michelle just ran for another 90-yard touchdown. I mean, that was pitiful the way they played defense in that game. So. Uh, I just think there are a lot of holes in, in his uh, in his logic there. That's all. That's what I wrote about. I, I just think ten years ago he had a lot better point than he does now. Yeah, and I think the most interesting part about it to me is, you know, I'm a I'm a big fan of Bill Conley's S and P Plus, uh, just because it does it does adjust for opponents, right? You uh, it tries to level the playing field across places that are hard to level, right? I think because I think there are the 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 big picture is that if you look at differences in philosophy, it's like, you know, the SEC philosophy remains play solid defense, make offense earn every yard. Um, you basically don't concede the field. And um, by and large, I think the philosophy in, uh, across the Big 12, you take out Kansas State, maybe God knows what Kansas is doing. Um, and and it may be even, even teams like TCU that's known for their defense, they still are willing to they wouldn't put their offense on the field more. It's just a difference in how they, they view the game as one. Like they, they're more willing to outscore you rather than hold you from scoring. You know, I also still agree with Lincoln Riley that Georgia probably would not have been a top five offense if they played in the big 12, but I still think they'd have been the best. I mean, defense, they still have been, been the best defense in the big 12 and in probably top 10 or, you know, no worse than 15th. And because that was just the, how good that defense was. But I think, you know, my, in my mind, the bigger picture is just don't go on Danny Cannell's show. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's just that's just me. But uh, you know, whatever. So you know, I, one of the things I'd, I also it'd be interested. You know, you are you you spent a lot of time in SEC country in the Southeast, and uh, you know, I spent five years in Illinois. I'd be curious, kind of, what you thought about living in Purdue. I, I think West Lafayette's an interesting town, certainly very college town, but just curious what you think about that. It's been a big adjustment for sure. Uh, well, at least it was the first few months we lived here. We moved here December 26th. Oh, we boy. drove up from Alabama. Oh. Where, uh, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I'm laughing because it's like, damn, that's the wrong time to go. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, you know, I've, ne- I've lived in Alabama, Louisiana, and Georgia my whole life until six months ago. So I didn't, I'd never owned gloves. I've never owned a heavy coat. You know, it was, it was, and apparently this was, you know, like a all-timer as far as how cold it was this past winter. I've had people just coming up to me for the first several months we lived here. People would come up to me almost every day and apologize for how cold it was. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, I think, with the windshield, like the first or second night we were here, it was like minus 20. Ugh. And, you know, for a whole month, it was like every succeeding day was the coldest day I'd ever experienced in my life. So that sucked at first for sure. But it was fun kind of, you know, I didn't know anything about Purdue when I moved here. Nothing, basically. I didn't know Neil Armstrong went to Purdue. I knew Drew Brees went to Purdue. That was about it. And I knew who Joe Tiller was. But it is really a great school. And something that, you know, I went to Auburn. I covered Georgia. and I covered LSU. I I covered Auburn, uh, you know, and the SEC in general. And what I have found about this school is its, its academic reputation is far more important to them as a university than it tends to be at Southern colleges. And, and I mean, that's not just SEC school, that's any of them. 
Yeah. And I've really enjoyed that. You know, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable land grant, you know, engineering astronauts. They've had like 25 astronauts, uh, I mean, that's, people it, from all over the world. Had, it's, it's, it's universe that's had the most astronauts outside of the service academies, right? Or maybe even more yeah, than some of them. Yeah, and I think maybe like MIT might have more, but it's, okay. it's right there at the top. Yeah. Uh, the first man and the last man to welcome in the moon both went to Purdue. And I mean, like it's, it's just for somebody that is now working in academics, it has been really, really awesome just to learn about it and, and kind of dip your toe into that academic culture, because it's just not what I'm accustomed to. I mean, I grew up in Alabama, man, nobody cares about education there. So uh, it's, it's been really neat. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I work at Georgia's law school and one of the things that I have, I mean, for for a long time, have cared about is how what the academic reputation of the University of Georgia is, um, and I think Georgia is probably different than it was. I mean, it was probably turning around when you were you were here under Dr. Adams. That's one thing that for sure, yeah. And look, a lot of people you can have a lot of complaints about uh, about Michael Adams, and that's fine. But the one thing that I think he really brought to the university was a sense of the academic mission as a core concept of what the University of Georgia should be. And I and I, I applaud that. You know, first off, it helps me in my job um, a lot. And second <laughs> off, it, it does provide me some, you know, uh, some, some interesting talking points when when I go to places and people are like, oh, you're just football school. I was like, really? That's that's what we're going to go with? I was like, you know, we can be both. Yeah. I mean, it, just because we're in, in the South, we're in the state of Georgia, doesn't mean that we can't be both, you know, a strong academic institution and also good at athletics, which, you know, there is a bias outside, uh, there's a bias in certain parts of the country that you can't do that. And, and it's particularly bad in Big Ten country, and they, they are rightfully, um, they're rightfully, uh, they're justified in their condescension about their academic institutions because uh, kind of across the board, Big Ten institutions are, are better academically, uh, but the, the, the conceit being uh, that, you know, well, only only the Big Ten or only fill in the blank has can can do both. That's that's not exactly true. And, and you you will hear me say something rarely good about Florida. Florida's a very very good academic institution, mm-hmm. particularly particularly in certain schools, um, and also good at athletics. And you can say the same the same about uh, you can say the same about Georgia. You can say obviously you can say about Purdue in some sports, but certainly about Purdue and uh, you know Michigan and Ohio State are also good examples of of schools that have are, are good at both so you know it's interesting you found the same thing that that i did find going to illinois it's like there was almost a an interesting i, I guess bias against oh well it's just a football school i'm like well that's you know we're actually pretty good at other things too um so. <laughs> yeah well i i think as somebody that is at georgia you have a a uh a unique ability to be able to say things like that that doesn't exist at the most of the rank and file SEC schools. You talk about Vanderbilt and Florida and Georgia; those are actually really good colleges. A and M, Oh yeah, A and M too. A and M. But I would say a, a lot of the the state schools in, in the SEC are, you know, average. I think that would be a good way of characterizing them academically. You know, they're fine, but yeah. uh, they don't really have much of a, a national reputation, and and uh, don't really necessarily care to at LSU. You know, I would always tell my wife, like, her whole family went there. I was like, you know, if we have kids and we're still in Louisiana, our kids are not going to this school. The library's, you know, been part of it is 
leaking water and I mean they have no money and they're no resources academically and it's fun to go to the football games on Saturday but the school itself is pitiful they're laying people off every year and the state's in a budget crisis and it's just uh it's disgusting and and I don't know that 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 situation exists at every state school in the south but uh it was it was just unbelievable at LSU about how bad the situation was yeah, and it's funny how um, I think you can draw parallels between LSU and I can't, I can't say between the state of Louisiana and the state of Illinois in their economic woes. And it was funny when I worked at Illinois, um, it would oftentimes there are people who are from the state of Illinois who are long-term University of Illinois employees. Was like, you know, Illinois solely exists to make sure Louisiana doesn't look the worst. Um, <laughs> and you know, I, I it's interesting there are some parallels there how that works and. Uh, you know, so I do have one last question because you do still pay close attention to to college athletics, particularly college football. Any interesting storylines that that you're keeping an eye on as we go forward in the 2018 football season? Yeah, you know, something I just wrote about a couple of days ago actually, I think could wind up being really interesting. And people are already kind of if you pick up one of the preseason magazines already, people are people have noticed this that defensive lines this year are going to just be like, I mean, this is a year where unbelievable talent exists on the defensive line. I mean, even when you look at Heisman lists, and I don't I don't think Ed Oliver or, or Nick Bosa are really legitimate uh, Heisman Trophy candidates, but they're on the odds list. They're actually getting listed as people who you can bet on to win the Heisman Trophy. It, it is like Ohio State has a couple of guys that are already possible first-round picks. Michigan has a couple – Clemson's entire damn defensive line. Oh, they is, all could be first rounders. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they could be. And uh, so I, the the other day I went back and I was like, I wonder how this year compares. And I looked at how many defensive line went, defensive linemen went in the first round of every year the last twenty years. And most years it was like five or six. The average was six point eight. And no year was there more than ten. Well, if you look at some mock drafts already, they're they're double digits for defensive linemen in almost all of them. And one of them has as many as like 15. That's like half the first round be a defensive lineman. I think this is really going to be a fun year for that position group to see guys just annihilate offensive linemen. I mean, and I, I, w- I was helping put together a preseason All-America list, and I, like I had like 15, a good dozen names that I was trying to figure out how to fit into eight slots. You know, it, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I I saw that piece, and I I guess I was setting you up to talk about that. But I think it is interesting. I mean, Auburn's offensive line could be the best in the SEC, and could be you know have three of the four All SEC, and maybe one of those guys would crack All American list at the end of the season. I could be wrong. They could be much better. But that's just how good the entire country is. Uh, how how good this entire class. A defensive lineman are um, so mm-hmm. it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how it goes. Well, David, man, I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. It's always good to catch up, and I, I would like to thank a lot of our folks that listen. Remember your work fondly. I, I know I do, and, and I, I appreciate it. Are you going to be able to get to you're going to be able to get to Chicago and see the drive by truckers any this uh, this year? They usually try to make a Chicago swing. You know, it's funny you mentioned that they are playing uh, in Indianapolis in two weekends 
next weekend with Susan Tedeschi and uh, the Derek, well, I guess Tedeschi Trucks Band they're on tour with right now. Where are they playing? Uh, it's an outdoor amphitheater. I don't know the name of it. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, I think it's called Verizon. I think it's up. Yeah, I know. I think I know that, that arena or that, that place. It, it, it may be. I haven't talked my wife into that necessarily. We went and saw them at, at uh, Tipitina's in New Orleans oh. last year, and they didn't come on stage until like 1 a.m., and she's not forgiving me for that late drive back to Baton Rouge yet. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we're actually staying. I'm hoping we can still go. We're actually staying like two blocks from Tipitina's. We're going down for the LSU game, and uh, I was like, I got to go to Tipitina's. And I, said, I don't care if it's just like the house man. <laughs> yeah. I got to go by there. <laughs> it's it's really cool and uh yeah well now you mentioned that i'm actually uh planning to go to that game too uh fantastic well my wife my it. wife's youngest brother is getting married the night before so we'll, we'll be down there and so awesome. we'll, we're gonna try to go well i know y'all have plenty of people to tailgate with but obviously you'll be welcome to tailgate with us too um we're we're taking a we're taking a large part of our crew um down to that game including including will leach who's uh who is a confirmed uh, Georgia Bulldog travel uh, fan. We, we He went with us to Notre Dame last year uh, and just had a fantastic oh, cool. time. What a great time. So, well, David, as always, it's great to catch up with you, and I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, guys, follow David Ching at DavidCing77 on Twitter. Um, you can read his work at Forbes. And Are there any other places you're working for generally regularly or writing for regularly? Uh, I was writing for uh, AL.com covering some college basketball stuff last year. I might do that again. I don't know. But uh, right now, Forbes is the main thing. Terrific. Well, David, as always, we appreciate it, and thank you for taking the time. Thank you, man. Good talking to you. And that's it for episode 135 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. Please read, rate, and review us. Um, We are going to be back on a regular schedule very soon um, with all three of us in the same room talking about Georgia football coming up. I really appreciate David Ching. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at DavidCing77. You can also read his work in Forbes magazine. Thanks to David for taking the time. Uh, We'll see you around campus. Go dogs.